May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You know how it is when you have too much to do and not enough time to get it done, and you feel like seven days in a week just isn't enough this week. You know, this week could use an extra day. Um, Not because you just want to lay around and, you know, uh, extend the vacation, but because you just have so much to do. Well, that was sort of my week this week. So much to do every day, so many demands, just seemed like things just kept coming and coming. And I'm not a list person. I know some of you are list people. You write lists and you check them off one at a time. I know this because you bring them to me and you say, see, you're on my list too. And I'm another check mark to be made. Um, I'm not that person. I'm the person that sort of keeps a running tab up here. You know, I feel like if I forget it, it might not have been that important. Um, But even in my... um, my weak and feeble way, I had this list going this week, and it was one of those unbearable lists. And I got to thinking about what I really wanted, and it hit me yesterday while I was watching, wanting to watch the Buckeye game, is um, I, I pushed pause on, I have this, you know, this DVR, many of you have it, it's this thing that you can pause live TV. And I thought... What if you could have one of these for your life? You know, like everybody's moving around and they're doing all sorts of things and you could just go, pause, and everybody would just stop. They would just freeze. All y'all would be sitting there with your smiles right now and I could run out of here and I could run home and mow the grass and I could come back, you know, all sweaty and whatever, and then I would push play and you'd be right back. You know, just wouldn't that be wonderful? If you could just pause life and it would stop just like that. So here's your thought experiment. I give you my magic remote control, and you can use it just once, you know, and you're going to use it today, what are you going to try to sneak in? Don't blurt it out. This is a rhetorical question. What are you going to try to sneak in? What extra thing are you going to try to get done? Oh, my, I've got this extra time. I think if you're a mother of small children, it might be like, you know, I'm going to eat. <laughs> I want to eat some food just undisturbed for a moment. I'm going to sit here with, with a little snack, and I'm just going to be quiet, and I'm going to eat. And then I'm going to push play, and they'll be back, everything's back. Or, or, or maybe, you know, you've got all these tasks to do. The garage needs cleaned out, and you just haven't had time, and you're going to do that. You have this moment. What are you going to spend it on? And that's the way we talk about time, isn't it? How do you spend your time? Time is currency, and it's a currency that's equally distributed. Now, we don't all have the same amount of time in terms of the length of our day. Someone might live to be 90, another might live to be 30, uh, you, you know, in between. But every one of us gets the same amount of time every day. How we spend it, how we use it is the difference. You have the same amount of time as I, as much as your neighbor. Time is equally distributed. So if I gave you my remote control, and you pushed pause on real life, and everybody froze, and you ran around and did your extra thing, and you're running around doing your extra thing thinking you're the only person in the entire world who has that feature on your remote, and you run into somebody else who also has a remote, And you're like, wow, we're the only two people in the world who get to do some extra things with extra time. 
Let me just tell you, that other person would probably say to you, that's how you're going to spend your time. You know, I can just imagine they like, you know, knock on my bedroom door and walk in like, Joe, you're napping? Really? This is what you're going to do with your extra time? You're going to sleep? You can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, what are you doing in my bedroom, I would say. You know, I go, what are you, what's going on here? No matter how you spent your extra time, sure enough, there would be somebody who would say to you, ah, oh, what a waste of time. What a waste. Why did you do that? What a waste of time. In, um, in the world of the first century, the world in which Jesus lived, it's called Second Temple Judaism. The, the, the Second Temple was, was built uh, just a few hundred years before. And so here you have this era called Second Temple Judaism. And, and in the people of Israel, there are, not unlike today, many strands of Jewish thought and life. Um, you have the uber-conservative. Um, I was in Jerusalem a couple years ago. I was just amazed. I was amazed at these hats, you know, that the, the uber-Orthodox wear. You know, at first you saw just the tall hats, but then there are these hats that look like, I'm not kidding you, like, like a cake box, like a big, round, completely circular cake box. And I'm talking to some Arab fellow, and I'm like, what's with that hat on that guy over there? And he says, I don't know. He's religious. <laughs> That's it. Um, Weird-looking hats. Also, in, in Jesus' world, same sort of thing. Super religious people, others who are sort of religious, some who are not religious at all. This existed in his world. The super religious people, the ones who were uber traditionalist. They were observant Jews. They, they ate kosher meals only. They, they kept the Ten Commandments. In fact, they kept all 613 commandments they found in the Torah with, with precision. These fellows are called the Pharisees. And normally we read the, like, the Gospels and you see the Pharisees show up and you're like, bad guys. Not bad guys at all. Really good guys. Vestry member good guys. The church, you know, a faithful churchgoer good guys. These are the best people. They're, they're the, the, the best people in the community. And Jesus and the Pharisees sometimes seem to have the same agenda. Jesus turns over the tables in the, in the temple. Pharisees would have been like, that's right. We've been wanting to do that for a long time. You know, they would have been really excited about things like that. But then he does things that really anger them. Like, he picks food from the, from the fields on the Sabbath day. He's allowed to do it because he's poor. He takes and he, he plucks heads of grain from it, and they, they make some food with it, some bread. And the Pharisees see him, and they're like, hey, you're not allowed to do that. That's harvesting. You can't do that on, on the Sabbath. So they get angry at him. Jesus and the Pharisees, not exactly a match made in heaven. They have a similar, but, a, a similar agenda, but a different way of going about it. And then Jesus does one thing that really infuriates them. This is the thing that they just cannot get over. And you find it in the very first verse of the, um, the gospel passage today. If you have your bulletin, you might want to see it. I'll read it to you. <laughs> you can just hear it. Now the tax collectors... And sinners were all drawing near to him, that is, Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners. The tax collectors, um, tax collectors are, uh, they're kind of a, a, a very despised sort of people in the ancient world. Um, they are people who are Jewish who work for the Roman government. Romans are, they are the invaders, the occupiers. They are hated people. 
And here you have Jews who are working for the Romans. And it's actually worse. The Romans tell them they have to charge a certain amount of money. They're expected to collect so many um, denarii, so many dollars. But the tax collectors can charge whatever they want. So sometimes they double, triple, or even quadruple the amount that they charge somebody. So not only are they working for the hated occupying force, the Romans, they're also extorting money from their neighbors. They're the worst kind of people in the whole community. And they're drawing near to Jesus. But not just tax collectors. Notice this other word, sinners. A lot of sinners going on in the, in the, uh, the lessons today. Did you hear all this? You know, God's ready to destroy uh, without uh, intercession because of the sins of the people. Psalm 51, my sin is ever before me. This is a, a confession of sin here. And, and St. Paul saying, you know, this is a, a, a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. The number one, the protoss center. I'm, I'm the top dog center here. But lots of, lots of centers. And it's in a way we all recognize that we're all centers. All of us sin. That's why we have the sin of confession every Sunday. And if you do the daily office every day, if you do the daily office three times, three times a day, we're all centers. That's not what Luke is talking about. He's not talking about people who just recognize that they're fallen human beings. He's talking about people who are not religious, who want nothing to do with Israel's religion. People who don't care about the Ten Commandments. They live according to one commandment, what's best for me? They don't care about stealing from people. They don't care about uh, abusing them. They, they're oftentimes people who, who live um, you know, immoral lifestyles. Uh, many of the, the people who gather around Jesus are prostitutes. Um, and so they're, they're selling their bodies. All kinds of people gathered in sinners that aren't just you know, the casual term, sinners. And yet, notice what happened. They're drawing near. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. <laughs> grumbled. I love it when people grumble. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know that thing. The word in Greek comes from, it comes from the cooing of doves. You know how that happens? You know, like somebody's giving a talk and, and they say something that's really unpopular. <laughs> a little, little bit of murmuring going on. It's, this is in the imperfect tense in Luke, which means they didn't just do it. They kept doing it. They kept grumbling, kept going under their breath. What are they going on under their breath about? They grumbled, saying, this man, this Jesus, receives sinners, and he eats with them. He eats with, he lets them sit at his table and he eats with them. And now you think, well, that's not a big deal. But in the first century, it's a really big deal. You do not have table fellowship with people who are notorious sinners, who are rejecting God in their life. You just do not do that. You don't go into places where they are. I mean, you, you avoid them. You certainly don't sit down at a table with them. You were recognizing them and validating them if you were. And here, some grumbling going on. Of course grumbling's going on. What's he doing? This is absurd. And he answers the question, doesn't he? The question is, is latent. Why are you doing this? It's not explicit, it's implicit. Why are you doing this? This is a waste of time. Maybe it's worse than that, but it's at least that. And so Jesus tells two stories. What man? It's, it's rhetoric, right? 
Tell me who wouldn't do this. A man who's a shepherd has a hundred sheep. One of them runs away. It's lost. He leaves the 99. I think Jesus leaves something out. You know what he does. I have four sons. I'll tell you what he does. He says, hey, you, all of you, over here, you watch these sheep. (laughs) He secures the sheep. You watch these. I'll be back. And he heads off. The shepherd does. And he hunts down that sheep. He keeps looking for it. He finds it. He's so happy. He picks this little lamb up and sticks it over his shoulders. And he runs back. And as he's coming back, he sees his neighbor out there. And he's like, Bob, get over here. You're not going to believe what I have. Look at this sheep. Remember the one I lost. Here it is. I found it. And then Jesus tells another story. Or what woman? Any woman would do this. Has ten coins and she loses one. Now, ten coins in, in the ancient world, this was, uh, women uh, would take and, and put these coins together as sort of a headdress. It was their wedding garment. It was their wedding ring. It was a special thing to them. They lost it. I, I, this morning somebody told me they, did, they, they forgot to put on their wedding ring. They're like, oh, I'm panicky about it, you know. Have you ever seen somebody who dropped a ring like in the sink? You know, I've seen women tear, um, you know, for, uh, uh, cabinets apart getting for that ring. You know, like, I need this ring. What woman wouldn't do that? Tear her house apart. Jesus says she sweeps everywhere, searches diligently. And when she finds it, she rejoices. Listen to verse, verse 7. This is the, at the end of the the. the um, the shepherd's story. So I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why in heaven's name are you doing this, Jesus? Hanging out with these people. It's a waste of time. No, it's not a waste of time. It's the best use of time. It's the ultimate use of time. And what he did, he left as an example for us to do. That we too are to spend our time doing exactly what he did for us. Because every one of us comes into this world lost. We only come to faith because in in God's mercy he draws us and makes us known. Um, There was this... uh, fellow who used to be the president of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. His name was Dennis Kinlaw. And Dennis Kinlaw was brilliant. I mean, brilliant, brilliant. PhD from Brandeis University in Old Testament and Semitic languages, Hebrew scriptures. Um, He was also from North Carolina, and he grew up as a farmer in a poor farm. So he had this real twangy North Carolina accent, and he just hid his brilliance so well. He could talk to farmers and school children just as easily as he could in a university classroom. And, and Dennis had these great little aphorisms of wisdom, Dr. Kinlaw did, and, and he would give them to us all the way. And I remember one time he says to me, uh, and question, I said, I, I, about, about this book. I heard this is a good book. And, and he says to me, whoa, whoa, whoa. If somebody says to you, it's a good book, you should read it. Tell them, I'm sorry, I don't have time. There are too many great books out there to be read. Joe, there are too many great books. Don't waste your time on good books. Only read great books. You got a little bit of extra time. What are you going to do with it? The Lord said to us, we are not a waste of his time. 
Listen to me. If you hear my voice today, you've got to hear this. You are not a waste of God's time. You're not. That you are special and wanted and loved. And me, I'm not a waste of his time. And if I told you some of the things that I've done and the way I was as a teenager, you'd be like, oh, you're a waste of time. And yet, God in his mercy didn't think I was a waste of time. And that person out there, you know that one. No room for God in their life, no room for religion, no room for faith, no room for any of that. They too are not a waste of time. They are loved and wanted and if just one person if just one person turns to the Lord, the angels in heaven will throw a party. That seems like a good use of time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.